How do you maintain focus when you encounter challenges, obstacles, and other problems designed to knock you off balance as you pursue your purpose in life? We'll examine this in this series, Focus, the Guardian of Purpose. Let's jump in. You know, it's been said that the two most important events in our life is when we're born and when we find or discover our purpose. Now, I would add when we're born, when we're born again, I'll add that to that part, but when we discover our purpose. And uh, so many people go through life and never quite hit it in terms of the purpose. I'm I'm trying to think of that quote. Uh, It just came to me. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said, uh, if I mess it up, I'll just mess it up. But he says, few can touch the magic cord, and noisy fame is proud to win them, to claim them. But alas for those who never sing and die with all their music in them. That music is your purpose. And so many people never, never have that uncovered. So first, let's review if we think a few things about purpose. Elder Ivor pointed out that there are a number of scriptures that confirm that God has indeed ordained a purposeful life for us, for us, the believer. Amen. Let's look at some of these scriptures. Uh, turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. When you have it, say, I have it, or say, Amen. amen. Here we find God saying this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified, consecrated you. I ordained or appointed you a prophet to the nations. We see here that before we arrive on this earthly plane, God has thought about and planted the seeds for our purpose. His hand in our formation is seen also in Psalm 139. Uh, verses 13 and 16. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16. You have it? You have it? It says there that for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me. Indeed, there is a purpose for our life. Later in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, we find this. This is God speaking. For I know the thoughts I think toward you. It's Jeremiah 11 says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That future is you pursuing your purpose. Now the English Standard Version of the same scripture says this, uh, this way, for I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I like that, but let me make it clear that he's not saying I plan that you're going to all go on welfare. (laughs) God is speaking about plans for your betterment and for the positive welfare of your being. He doesn't intend for us to to go on welfare. Now, the New Testament reaffirms that God has thought about the good work in which we believers are destined to walk. And you're familiar with this. 
turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You're there? Tell me you're there. Reading at uh, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand. That means before we got here. And that we should walk in them. This scripture tells us two key things. We are created by God, and God has a plan for our life. Indeed, a purpose for our life. As I said earlier, uh, it's often said that the two most important events in one's life is being born, and I'll add to that being born again, and the second one, discovering your purpose. We remain unfulfilled if we stop at being simply created by God but never uncover the particular purpose of our existence. And far too many are in that state. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Pastor Rick Warren says this, without God, life has no purpose. And without purpose, life has no meaning. Without meaning, life has no significance or hope. And we can certainly agree with that, I think. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Verse 9, that's 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 9. You have it? Somebody has it. I got it. Okay. (laughs) Here in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 9, we are told about our God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus again before time began. This holy calling involves a number of things, including these which affect purpose. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Romans 10, 9, and 10. You are called to salvation. Psalm 8, 4 and 6. You are called to have dominion. That's the dominion over all the works of his hand and all things set under under your feet. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are called to rule as kings and priests. And that's affirmed again in Revelations chapter 1, verse 6 and Revelations chapter 5, verse 10. In case you don't know where these are, you need to go and be able to see where you are supposed to be reigning as kings and priests. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. You are called to be and make disciples of Christ. That's the Great Commission. In John chapter 10, 10, you know that scripture, the thief comes. But to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You are called to have life and have it more abundantly, according to John 10.10. Look at Psalm 86.9. Psalm 86.9. And while you're there, read Psalm 86.11 as well. You are called to praise God. Can the ushers? 
In Mark chapter 12, verse 20. 12, 20, Mark. You are called to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's Mark 12, verse 30. And go to the next verse, 31. That's Mark 12, verse 30. And look at 31. You are called to love your neighbor as yourself. You are called to walk in your God-given victory. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. He has given us the victory. And you are called to walk in that victory. If you're walking in anything less than victory, you're actually lying on God. We are called to walk in victory. We're the head, not the tail. We are blessed going in and going out. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, you are called to be world overcomers. 1 John 5, 4. Have you overcome the world with your faith? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. You know this one by heart, don't you? We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. You can go there and you can write these down. You are called to live by faith. You are called to live by your faith. And, of course, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, you are called to walk in love. To walk in love. So important. Now, in terms of discovering purpose, you are called to develop the gifts that God has deposited within you. And we all have these gifts. Some of these gifts are outlined in Romans chapter 12, and you need to go there and take a look. Romans 12, verses 22 through 24. When you're there, do you have it? Are you having trouble hearing? Yes. On this side. Ian, why are they having trouble hearing? Is it my talking? Can you hear over here? Okay, let me come over here. Oh, so I have to look like this all the time. Can I look up? Romans 12, verses 22 and 24. Talking about gifts that God has deposited. Oh, I have. Twenty-one is the last verse. Right. It's it's twenty. It's not twenty-two and twenty-four. No. Wow. <laughs> Did anybody? Can anybody find that? It's it's the gifts. 
Yeah, let me take a quick look. I apologize for that. No, it, it certainly is not 12 because there's no 20, there's no 22 in that. Ooh, I usually don't make such a big mistake as that. Uh, and you really need to see where this is. Uh, it's a scripture where we're told that we are one body with many members. Where did I miss that? That's Romans uh, 12, 4. For we, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Is that what you're looking for? That's it. I don't know how I made such a big mistake as that. You know what it is? It's Romans 12, 4. Through. You know, that's why you need an editor. 12, 4. Uh, Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. Yeah, it is Romans 4. Go to Romans 12, 4. We'll start there. Yes, sir. It says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 6. Uh, but you know what? This is not the scripture I really want. I mean, this, this we uh, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. Let us use them. Okay, this, this is true. This is true. This is true. Uh, okay, wake up. Uh, to the grace that is given to us, so let us use them, meaning use the gifts. It says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Seven or ministry, if you've been given a gift of ministry, let us use it in our ministry. Amen. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, that's, that's he who encourages people. Uh, he who gives uh, with liberality, he who leads, leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So in these gifts, and I don't know how I messed up that scripture. I apologize. Uh, it, it mentions, oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. She said, I'm human. <laughs> it's good to know that and to be reminded of that. Okay. In these gifts that were just enumerated, you have prophesying, you have serving, you have teaching, encouraging, Contributing to the needs of others, leadership, and showing mercy. Now, within these broad categories, you can fit hundreds of other things that you might be doing. I mean, it covers just about the whole spectrum. I mean, it, uh, uh, it, uh, it's a broad, broad, general listing under which or within which you can find just about everything in terms of the gifts that have been deposited in you. Now, writing about these gifts that God has deposited in us, author Shana Shute says this. She says this. The gifts God gives us are like little seeds planted inside, 
but for them to grow, we have to use them. This means that if you can't identify which gift seeds God has given you, try doing new things that interest you. Through these new experiences, God will reveal more to you about who you are and how he has called you to serve him. So the point here is, is that you have to get doing. You have to get moving. The author is saying that we have to get busy doing something if we want to find our purpose. And then I want to emphasize this next point and spend a little time with it. Too many people are misguided into thinking that you can uncover your purpose by thinking. And it was by thinking about it, meditating about it, sitting and contemplating. And they feel that if they spend enough time thinking and meditating on purpose, the light will eventually come on and God will somehow reveal their purpose to them. They call this waiting on the Lord. And they can cite numerous scriptures to support this. There are lots of scriptures in the Bible that talk about waiting on the Lord. I just think the interpretation for a good many of them is, is wrong. But we'll get to that. I have Christians tell me, Christian friends, and I'm talking about down through the years, that they know that God has a plan for them. But they're waiting for him because they don't want to mix, make a mistake <laughs> and do something they shouldn't be doing. They, want, they are waiting for God to reveal this purpose to them. And because waiting on the Lord is such an important aspect of Scripture that's so often misunderstood and has caused confusion among Christians trying to uncover their purpose, we're going to take a little time to look at this more closely. I say that because too many Christians are misguided into thinking that waiting on the Lord means sitting around with folded hands waiting for something to turn up. How's the hearing over there? Good. Okay. So, there are over 90 scriptures in the Bible that talk about waiting. Some aspect of waiting on the Lord. Let's look at the one that we all know is perhaps the most popular. And turning your Bibles to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. I think we might have this one right. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So many of us cite that we love this scripture and so forth. Uh, but what does wait mean here? It sounds as if we simply have to wait. And in so doing, our strength somehow will be miraculously renewed. And that we can sprout wings like an eagle. Uh, and we'll be able to soar like an eagle and run through life's challenges without getting weary and walk through any adversity and not faint. Everything here hinges on the word wait. So I looked up the Hebrew word used here for wait. And that word is kava, K-A-V-A-H. You can write that down. I don't mean K, I mean Q. Because there, there's a kava, K-A-V-A-H, but this is Q-A-V-A-H. And it's interesting that kava came out of my mouth first, because if you look at look up kava, the Greek meaning of kava, K-A-V-A-H, you're going to find that it means to burn. That's not what we're looking for. It's Q-A-V-A-H. Uh, Q-A-V-A-H, kava, has two meanings. One is to literally wait. But as used in this scripture, that's Isaiah 41, 31, 
It's the other meaning. Kava means to bind together, to be intertwined like a rope or cord. Uh, and it has a meaning of getting together in oneness. So it really means like if we, had a, if we were making a rope up here, you would see how rope is intertwined to make it uh, stronger and to develop you know, the thickness that you need. And if you develop a thick enough rope, uh, it's very strong. You make a cord or a rope by twisting or weaving or binding threads together to form a rope. The strands are intertwined, and the more strands used, the greater the strength. In fact, we're told this in Ecclesiastes 4.12. If you look there, you'll find this to be true, Ecclesiastes 4.12, where it says, at the end of that scripture, it says, a threefold cord, in other words, a cord with three strands, is not quickly broken. Now, the reason we know to apply the binding definition of kava uh, to the scripture here, it's Isaiah 40, 41, because it talks about giving us strength. Strength does not come from simply waiting. You know that. If the waiting is purely sedentary, as some people do, as I said, sitting with hands folded, waiting for something to turn up, you don't become stronger, you become what? Weaker. You become weaker. So, that's why it's that definition. It means to bind, to become intertwined, to become united, to become one with God. That's what it means in terms of this scripture. So when you apply that definition to Isaiah 40, 31, it really makes more sense. It would read something like this. But those who bind together with, become intertwined with, become one with the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, actually, this binding and uniting and becoming intertwined with God, that's our whole Christian life. That's our whole Christian walk and so forth. And if we become intertwined with God, if we become one with God, and aren't we supposed to be one with God? Then our strength really will be renewed. And we will mount up with wings as eagles and be able to soar through challenges and walk through adversity and not be weary or, and not faint. So we see here that just as Apostle tells us about faith, faith is an act. Faith is not sitting there praying and hoping God's going to do it. Faith, faith is an act. Faith is, is moving. Faith is acting on your belief. So that means you're getting up and doing something. To wait is an action verb also. Using the analogy of combining strands to a rope, we become stronger Christians by adding or weaving more strands into our relationship with God. The more strands, the more strength he gives us. Psalm 18.32, take a look at that. Psalms 18.32 reminds us that it's God who arms us with strength and makes our way perfect. It's God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Now, here are some ways that we can add strands that intertwine with God to make us stronger. And there's so many. I'm just going to mention a few here. Daily prayer. That's a strand mm-hmm. you add to your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us what? Pray without ceasing. That's an important strand, daily prayer. 2 Timothy 2.15, you remember what we're told there? To study to show ourselves approved, rightly 
divining uh, the word of God. Study the Bible daily. That's an important strand that you add to make you stronger. Keep your mind focused on God. Amen. Isaiah 26.3. That will certainly make you stronger. Ephesians 5, 1, 2. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Keep your mind stayed on God, which means to keep your mind stayed on the word. That will make you stronger. Uh, here's a good one that you can pass on to people who are not here. Hebrews 10, 25. What is Hebrews 10, 25? Forsake not the assembling. Right. What that means in plain English is to attend church regularly. That's an important strand that you can add to make you stronger. If you hadn't been here this morning, you, wouldn't have, you would have missed me missing a scripture. And that caused you to look more carefully, and that made you stronger. Uh, you have to watch the company you keep. And I'm just going to give you one verse. There's several in, in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20. In fact, let me go and go there. And let's look at 1320. What does it tell us there? He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. It's important who you hang out with, who you hang out with. Watch you come. I'll re repeat this later, but I think it was Charles Tremendous Jones who, who said that what you will become in five years is dependent on two things. The books you read during that time and the people you associate with. Keep those two things in mind. Watch the company you keep. And of course, you need to exercise your faith. Apostle Price tells us all the time, you want to develop your faith, you have to exercise it. And you remember his teachings that talk about, you don't start out by exercising your faith for a million dollars. And hopefully you don't have to start out exercising your faith when you're stricken with stage four cancer. You start out in increments. You start out when you need $20 or $100 and so forth. You start using your faith Incrementally, and that's how you develop your strength because when, when it happens the first time, then it's stronger and it gets stronger and stronger. So you need to exercise your faith all the time. Excellent. Now, the rope of our lives gives strength by being twisted or woven or bound together with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we go and do and become intertwined with God, our purpose begins to unfold. But the question still remains for many, how can I know if what I do or what I'm doing is, in fact, my true purpose? This is a good question. In discussing this subject recently, and some of you might have heard his message on this, Pastor Fred Price Jr. said, if you want to know what your purpose, I'm paraphrasing, what your purpose is, check out your passion. Mm -hmm. Whatever you are passionate about doing, what you truly love doing, most likely that is your purpose, if you like what you do. Now, well, people might ask, well, how do I know if the job I'm doing that I do every day is my passion? 
It may or, not, may or may not be. But I have a simple test. This is the, oh my God, I, I started to say this. It just, this is off the top of my head. You know what my initials are? BS. I just started to say this is the BS test for, for, for determining if, in fact, your job is your purpose. And we know from, from our own experience, we know from what friends tell us that you're... BS, busy study. Good idea. <laughs> we know that sometimes the job that you're doing may or may not be your passion. But my simple test is this. And you ask yourself this question. Is your job, meaning your work, is this something you do chiefly or primarily to live? Or is your job something you live chiefly to do? You know the difference? In other words, when you wake up, if you can't wait to get to work, then, that, then, then, then you love to do it. Or if you wake up and say, oh my God, which is going to happen tomorrow for some people, it's Monday morning, and I have to go back to work, deal with those people, deal with those situations, deal with the tedious job, and so forth. So that's my simple test for that. Is it something that you live primarily to do, or is it something that you have to do primarily to live, and so forth? So the bottom line in Ella Ivers' message is, on purpose, support the conclusion that it is in seeking God that you find your purpose, in seeking God that you find your purpose. And that is why I love the statement from Meister Eckert about seeking God, because it says it all. And let me read it to you again. I know I've read this to you a number of times before, but this is what uh, Meister Eckert says about seeking God. Meister Eckert, by way of background, by the way, that was a German priest way back in the 1500s and a uh, Catholic priest. And in my opinion, he had the better understanding of the absoluteness of God than almost anybody. You know, Paul had it, he had it, a few other people had it, had it, a few other people had it. This is what he said about seeking God. He says, hold fast to God and he will add every good thing. Seek God and you shall find him and all good with him. This includes your purpose. To the man... And they use this old language to the man who cleaves to God, that's clings to God, God cleaves and adds virtue. Thus what you have sought before now seeks you. What once you pursued now pursues you. What once you fled now flees you. Everything comes to him who truly comes to God, bringing all divinity with it, while all that is strange and alien flies away. <coughs> Eckert's statement says this, what you have sought before, that is in seeking God, what you have sought before now seeks you, and what you once pursued now pursues you. That's your purpose, now seeking you and pursuing you. But seeking God comes first. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you can go there, reminds us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you diligently seek him, he's going to reward you with knowledge of your purpose. That's one of the rewards, knowledge of your purpose. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, and you will seek me, that me and God, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you really truly find God, you will find your purpose. Now, in his book Walden, Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau, and a lot of you have read Walden. A lot of us had to read it in school. 
He writes this about pursuing your dreams, your passion. He says, if one advances confident, confidently in the direction of his dreams, you're doing something, and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. He will put some things behind, will pass an invisible boundary. New, universal, and more liberal laws will begin to establish themselves around and within him, or the old laws be expanded and interpreted in his favor in a more liberal sense, and he will live with the license of a higher order of being. As Christians, we should be living with the license of a higher order of being. Amen. We should be, in other words, we should, we, we are on the earth, but we should be living with the license of a higher order of being. And I would say this, if you're living with that license of a higher order of being, then you are likely, first of all, you're living an overcoming life, and you're likely to be living your purpose. All this comes from going and doing. You see, as... As Oswald Chambers says, and this is important for us to know but we, because we talk about the victorious overcoming life. He says this, God does not give us an overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. In other words, you get strength to overcome by doing. You know, just like that healing, as they went, they were healed. So the ball is in your court, it's in our court. But again, it's not enough that you know that God has a plan in your life because that's what we're talking about, that God has a plan in your life and that you are willing to accept this plan. And it's not enough to know that you are willing to accept the plan that God has. And Goethe, the German philosopher, puts it this way, and it's right on point. Knowing is not enough, we must apply. Willing is not enough, we must do. So it's about doing. It's about getting involved. It's, it's about moving in the direction of your dreams, seeking God, always being in concert with God in terms of discovering your purpose. And as I said, Elder Iva dealt with this so well. Now, let's turn our attention to focus today, the guarding of purpose. Uh, Ian, can you put that... Uh, You can read it on that screen over there, and I'll get out of the way here and see if you can read it on here. And I should have brought a copy of it with me up front. Can you give me a copy? If you were in service last week, Pastor Elias Valentine had a word for Crenshaw Christian Center in New York from the Lord. And uh, Ian is going to roll it. Actually, we're going to pass this out to all of you at, at the end because it was right on point. He says, I don't know if it's going to come up on the screen or not. He says, number one, you are caught in the middle of what is and what can be. He's talking about us here at Crenshaw Christian Center. Number two, 
it says you ask who is coming, who is staying. Number three, we are distracted and drawn in different ways. Number four, he's talking about us here. He says, you have turned your focus from my face to the memory of yesterday. The next one, what I have called you to be has nothing to do with who is here or not here. The next one, it has nothing to do with who comes or not or who will lead or not. The next one says, don't let what is going on in the church obscure your view of me. And finally says, don't follow those who are running to a false finish line. Thus says the Spirit of God. And this is from Pastor Elias Valentin. And it is so on point. And, and guess what? What is he basically talking about in this word? He's talking primarily about focus. Where's our focus? Where's our focus? Or where's, where are we being misfocused on? But he's talking about focus. And it's a perfect segue to our topic this morning on focus, the guardian of purpose. Now, in examining this issue, I would characterize purpose and its pursuit and practice as a race. And I do this in the same manner that the Bible tends to characterize our Christian walk, our Christian life, and a fight of faith as a, as a race. When you think about the scriptures that we have on this subject, Paul especially refers to this as a race and, and so on. So I think of pursuing finding our purpose, and then practicing this purpose. It's like a race. In other words, it's a race, but it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, so it goes on throughout life, and so on. But let's look at some passages in the, in the, in the scripture that, that talk about uh, the race. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hopefully we have this Hebrews 12, 1 correct. Hebrews 12, 1 which says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the, and the sin which, is so easily, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's talking about the Christian life race. He's talking about the race to, to know Jesus Christ. He's talking about the fight of faith race and so forth. Also in Hebrews 12, 2, Hebrews 12, 2, that's the next verse, it says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Depending on what your scriptures say, it says it in different ways. The race mentioned in 12, 1 is referring to life as a follower of Jesus or this Christian life. And as I would say, also, you're seeking and finding and pursuing your purpose. Now, Apostle Paul likened the good fight of faith to a race. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Here Paul, and you've heard this before, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. Your Bible might say finish the course, but he's talking about finishing the race. I have kept the faith. So just as you pursue your Christian life and the good fight of faith until the end, I say you pursue your passion and purpose until the end Amen. as well. Amen. Which means that you don't let anyone deter you from that. That's and right. you guard against being derailed or 
detracted or sidetracked from it. So like the race in the Christian life and the fight of faith, the race in the pursuit of purpose requires discipline, commitment, stamina, and faith, all bonded together, I say, by focus. Here are some other things we need to know about the race for purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. You need to look at this because it's telling you some of the things you need to know since we're in a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it, obtain the prize. Running in such a way to win is running with discipline, commitment, stamina, and faith. Again, all of which are bonded by focus. You run with determination. You run towards the goal line, towards the finishing point. Uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Since finding our purpose, pursuing our purpose, our Christian life and the good fight of faith is being compared to a race. We need to see what's said here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You've got to compete according to the rules. So if you're pursuing some particular field of study, let me give you an example. Law, which was my field, I had to, I had to, I had to follow the rules. The first rule was to get a college degree. Second rule was to get admitted into, into law school. The second was to do three years of law school. And the second was, was to get out and so forth. And so that was part of the rules. But, you know, it talks about something else that's, I think, even more important. It talks about maintaining integrity. Amen. You must not let yourself be knocked off your focus by shady shortcuts, by inferior quality, or dishonest tactics or shabby work. Amen. No shortcuts. Amen. Proverbs 11.3 says, Proverbs 11.3 says, does that mean I'm out of town? Nope. <laughs> Proverbs 11.3 says this, the integrity of the upright will guide them. And Psalms 25.21, that's Psalms 25.21, tells us to let integrity and uprightness preserve us. Now, a third point about being in a race in these areas that we're talking about, you must complete the race to be declared victorious. And again, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.7, which we looked at already, he says that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. In other words, it's no good. Uh, I mean, you've seen it. You, track and field, one of my favorite sports. If somebody falls before they get to the finish line, they might as well have not been in a race. And if you don't come in one, second, or third, you might as well have not been in a race. Two, you have to finish the race. So you have to keep at it. The old cliche, the cliche is true that it's not how you start, but how you finish. Some start out strong, and we know this, we've had friends who started out strong when they were born again. They were, they were preaching to everybody. They were ready to go out start their own church, stand on the stoop and preach. They started out strong. And the same thing in terms of 
pursuing our passion, when we think we found it, we are really enthusiastic and we give it our, our best. But then something happens. Uh, we sometimes allow ourselves to be pulled away from this commitment by distractions, sometimes deceptions, and so forth. Galatians 5.7, and you need to see this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. Here it states, you ran well, and I'll add the but, but what hindered you from obeying the truth? Wow. Something knocked you off the racetrack. I say it very likely was being knocked off your focus by something. Amen. Distraction, some deception, some number of other things that we'll get into later. We are advised to keep focus the way it's presented in Proverbs 4. Take a look at Proverbs 4. This is very instructive. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 and 27. Proverbs 4, verse 25 and 27. It says this, it says, let your eyes look straight ahead, focus, and your eyelids look right before you. You know where you're stepping, where you're going. Focus, ponder the path of your feet, focus, and let all your ways be established, focus. In other words, let your ways be established before you step off a deep, deep cliff. Be established, by the way, by God. 27, it continues, do not turn to the right or the left, Remove your foot from evil. That is focus. That's what we're being told to do. This scripture is representing focus at, as attention. What it's saying is pay close attention to what you're doing and, not, and don't allow yourselves to be easily distracted. Focus and attention are key. And we'll get into this next week. I see we're coming to an end. I'll talk about it. I brought the book. This is a book written uh, in 2013 by Daniel Coleman, Goldman, Goldman, titled is Focus, The Hidden Driver of Excellence. And he does an incredibly scientific study of focus and attention and the things that take us away from that. So I'll mention this next week. We are now at the end today. Thanks for listening. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.